You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Comedy podcast looking back at This Week in History. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. You can find us and or message us over on Facebook and Instagram using TWWWBLY. To Twibbly, or this week was way better last year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, he can scramble an egg while it's still inside its shell. It's <laughs> Mr. Jeff McLarge. Hey, hey, Bill. Hey, everybody. Hey, I can scramble an egg in his shell. Yep. It's like salt and peanuts in the shell. I don't know how to do that. Yeah, the good old, uh, good old Ronco, Mr. Popeil uh, gadgetry <laughs> there. It's some kind of weird kitchen magic. Yes, said it. And forget it. All right. What's going on? How are you? Um, I'm good. Hey, I had the the opportunity to start going back to cinemas, you know, that they've sort of kind of come back into being places that human beings congregate again. Yeah, without feeling it's, too nervous about it, sure. I'm still a little nervous, but not super nervous. No, about the same amount of nervous I was before the pandemic, right? Yeah, just, exactly. I, was afraid, I just was afraid I was going to get something that probably wouldn't kill me, you know? Right, right, um, right. But I started kind of going back to the movies after like two and a half years. And the, the weirdest thing is what drew me back. I didn't go off to see a Marvel blockbuster or something. I, I got dragged kind of back in because the 35th anniversary of John Carpenter's The Thing oh, yeah. was, re- was re-released and the opportunity to go see it on the big screen. I literally just watched that over your house like, I don't know, a couple of months ago. Yeah, a few months back. Uh, it's, yep. That's a, a rare film that gets watched probably three times a year here. Uh-huh. Either by me or Ian, and if either of us is watching it and the other one walks in the room, they're stuck there. Yep, <laughs> just the way it sort of works. And, so you went, uh, you went to go see it in the, in the theater. I did. Yeah, I saw it in the, I saw cool. it in the cinema. It was really was really fun. Uh, I learned later that it it's, it looked like it was in a kind of a funny aspect ratio, and it was shown in TV aspect ratio at the movies because of some technical hoobajuba that that's hilarious. That that yeah that uh, it was shown in four three. It was shown at yeah one eighty five to one, and uh, yeah, I, like again, I I've seen the movie enough times that I I was more interested in like just the experience of seeing it with a bunch of people. No, would be really funny is like sometimes when you see movies or when we used to see movies on TV like when we were kids, and they didn't have pan and scan, so they just like crushed everything and everybody was tall and skinny. Yeah, I remember that. I remember. <laughs> Or the first like real widescreen videotapes. They had the the bars on the top and bottom of the screen, which I never it never bothered me. I would rather have it widescreen and and have the top and bottom bars than it be in the wrong aspect ratio. But again, like I said, I don't care. Again, it was at the movies, and yeah. I didn't like. I looked at him I'm like it's a little blurry. You know, you think any? And he's like, yeah. And I guess they they showed it again a couple of days later. Um, you're watching somebody's VHS copy from HBO. Yeah, yeah. From what I read, it was like a 1080i version that was that was transmitted instead of the 4K version. So, again, doesn't matter. I enjoyed the experience of sitting there eating an almost fatal amount of popcorn watching the thing. People ask me that, like, um, 
like there's a, a movie theater in Boston called the Coolidge, yeah. and they do like midnight showings. And you know, we went out there to see Friday the Thirteenth. It was like a two in a row, like parts. I think it's part four and part six. And you know, people are like, why do you go see movies you've already seen? And you own. You can watch them at home anytime you want. It's like, it's the experience. Yeah. You're watching it in a theater with a bunch of people. And I don't know. It's a it, thing. My take on it is is this, right? If I shell out $12, which is what I paid per ticket to go see the thing, a film that I own. Yep. <laughs> a better copy of, yeah. Right, a better copy of, right? I shelled out 12 bucks per ticket plus $1,000 for popcorn and two sodas. I sit down to watch it. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pay attention to the freaking movie. I'm going to sit there and be, and I'm not going to look at my phone. I'm not going to get up and go make scrambled eggs in the shell. I'm not going to do any of that stuff. I'm going to pay attention <laughs> to, this, to the screen. Because I got right. now I have a financial investment in this movie. Yeah, that's another thing. When you see movies in the theater, you do tend to pay attention to them a lot yep. more. Yep. There's, so. there's a lot less distractions around you, except for the couple making out next to you. All right. All right. Okay. All right. Yeah, we know you like each other. For God's sake, there's saliva on my arm now. <laughs> they used to do this thing in Boston, and they uh, if they still do it, obviously they haven't done it in a couple of years. I hope they start doing it again. It used to be called the Feast of the Flesh, and it would be a band would play. Then there would be like a short burlesque show, or sometimes a burlesque show opened. And then there would be a band, and then they would show a zombie movie. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a bottomless well of zombie movies. And it was actually a really cool, fun night, and people would show up in makeup and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I actually met my friend Chris, who's a listener of the show, at one of those feasts of, of the flesh. So, hi, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> I like that it's an event. Yeah. You know, I like, I like, right. I mean, even if people aren't, you know, dressed as characters from, you know, Science Station 34 at the thing, but it still was like having yeah. to go and be in the place and sit around people that I don't know. In the middle of summer, people showing up in big <laughs> yeah, winter exactly. coats. Wash uh, water, please. Well, I was thinking about like the last <laughs> time I really went to the cinema on purpose, where it wasn't like a spur of the moment thing, was to see the re-release of Alien. And that was before the pandemic. That one was in the proper aspect ratio. <laughs> but that was a lot of fun, too. So keep my eye out for those. Uh, before we get the the show proper started, we do have our very popular and always well-received trivia question. All right. So this is a tricky one. Are you ready for this? I'm never ready for these, but that's okay. All right. Okay. So I'm going shopping. The wife, I'm not married, but the wife has sent me out and she wants... Chilean nylons and Australian bananas. Where am I going to go to pick up such things? What store am I going to? Okay. Uh, Chilean nylons. Of course, they're native to Chile. And Australian, what is it? Bananas. Australian bananas, which of course are clearly export of uh, Australia. All right. Well, I guess at the end of the show, I will be giving you my, my store name for where I think these items can be found. All right. Very good. But this is the week beginning August the 15th, and I believe it is your turn to start. It is, in fact, my turn to start. Uh, August 15th, 1965, the Beatles play Shea Stadium in New York to their largest crowd ever, 55,000 people. You can imagine what the shrill scream of 55,000 sort of 1965 era teenage girls was at this show. Yeah, I don't have to imagine. I've seen uh, clips of that show. I have. And... Honestly, I can't even imagine anyone enjoying themselves at that show. Nope, and and even the Beatles didn't enjoy themselves. 
<laughs> they stopped touring after that, and they're like, you know, I don't think we can play to all these screaming girls anymore because we can't hear our bloody instruments. And they couldn't. You can't hear anything if you watch the Shea Stadium uh, show. Everything yeah, is just suffused with the sound of screams. Right. And as serious musicians, as the Beatles, you know, want to be, you know, they're up there playing and they know damn well that they could just be going bang, 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 not even have to tune up. And people would still be in the in the audience just losing their ever-loving minds. And, and they, and they yeah. never know that they were out of tune because they can't hear their guitars. Like if you watch the if you watch the clips of the show, they have like six amps. Right. <laughs> I have I have more stereos in my car, you know, more speakers right, right, in right. my car. Yeah, and uh, yeah, that really just disillusioned the Beatles, and they I don't think they ever they never toured again. No, after that. they were done after they that. They did a few one off shows here and there, but right. they never yeah they never toured. Yeah, they did that. like the top of the record, the, the the Apple Records building, but technically I don't know that that counts. Yeah, there's another. I've seen a live performance of them playing "Come Together." Uh, it's just like a one-off performance. It wasn't even a, a concert. It was just like a one-off, one-song performance. What's kind of cool about the Shea Stadium show is that, I guess, not ironically, because with fifty-five thousand people, you're bound to end up with people that interact with the band somehow, right? It right. turns out that uh, Barbara Bach, who married Ringo Starr, and Linda Eastman, who married Paul McCartney, were at that show. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, well, the odds are there. No, yeah, the odds no, are there no doubt about it, screaming their teenage heads off. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they were there. So speaking of celebrity couples, August the 16th, 1985, uh, Madonna and Sean Penn get married. And this was a celebrity wedding that was big news. They were they were Hollywood's it couple. They soon added a SH in front of their it couple <laughs> when they did the movie Shanghai Surprise together. Yeah. Not a not a great film by any no, stretch of the imagination. Not, not only is it not a great film, but it's also like notorious for being like really bad. Like yeah. people were actually looking at and Sean Penn was an accomplished actor even at that, that early in his career. And people were asking him, like, did you did you read the script? Because they did another movie together, didn't they? Didn't they do two movies together? No, no, no. She, she did another movie with the other guy she was married to after Sean Penn, Guy Ritchie. She did Swept Away. Yeah, that movie sucks too. Yeah. That movie also sucks, yes. It may be worse because often they're compared. And it's one of those, like, let's see if we can figure out why these two movies are so terrible. What's the common denominator here? Yeah. And that's probably it because the reason that Madonna is only in desperately seeking Susan for like five minutes is because that's the ex- that exhausts her acting talent. Good writer, she's a great dancer, she's a fantastic singer, she is a very think, interesting personality. But I think yeah. she is a dancer, a singer. I wouldn't go, I wouldn't go all that far with the uh, with the adjectives there. I'm looking at her IMDb over here. I think the only movie that she's in that's kind of like worth her salt would probably be A League of Their Own. Yes. Ensemble cast. If that was a movie just with her in it, you know. Yeah, exactly. It would be like the... Yeah, Tom Hanks and Gina Davis probably had a little to do with it, right? (laughs) Right. So did like Rosie O'Donnell. There's a bunch of really good actresses and actors in that film to balance out that she's not good. And then Sean Penn at that time was, uh, I don't know if you remember this, but like because they were such a tabloid couple, they were constantly being 
you know, harassed by the press. Yep. And, like, he was punching out for photographers left and right. <laughs> he did the film At Close Range, right, where she had the, the single, the number one single from that soundtrack. Is that oh, Sean uh, Penn and um, Christopher Walken? T- is it Live to Tell? Yeah. Live to Tell, yeah, okay, that's right, yeah. Yeah, I think it was, like, right after that. I knew they had another movie. He was just like, yeah, how about you, like, stick to what you do best and not act? And not act. I was like, oh, you really love the way I sing? That's another way of saying it. Sure, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. All right, what do we have for the next day? All right, for August 17th, 1988, giving hope to the bald men of America, the first commercial hair growth stuff that is approved by the FDA is, is released into the market and it's called Rogaine. Oh yeah. That came out in 1988. You just said 1988. Yep, yeah. 34 years and it still doesn't work. They grow hair on heads, but I, I guess the substance that's, that actually does the regrowth is called minoxidil. That's the, not the brand name, but the, the, the name of the chemical, I guess. And when scientists would, would put it on like their arms, it would grow like hair, head hair on their arms. So they're like, this is great. We're going to be billionaires. And turns out it doesn't really grow hair on your head. But I guess if you want to grow a nice arm full of, you know, sultry locks, <laughs> that's the stuff to use because it doesn't grow it anywhere else. I, I, I put some on my cantaloupe and boom. It's just not, not on my head. Yeah. So I guess making your own like Sasquatch costume by slathering it all over your chest, legs, right. back and arms, you know, but you can slather it all day on your head and you're not going to get anything. I remember when that came out, and there was all sorts of talk. I was like, oh, that's it. This is the end of baldness, and here we are 34 years later, and there's still commercials. Yeah, rub the stuff on your head and rub it on your head, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> does it make you feel better? <laughs> it should, because it's, 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 that's what it does. It smells like sandalwood now. That's the, that's right. the new version. <laughs> yeah, new real game with mesquite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it keeps mosquitoes Ooh. away, too. That's profile. Uh, that's uh, that's foreshadowing, kids. Oh, oh, hey, Jeff. Guess what? It's the end of the world as we know it. Hey, so uh, August eighteenth of nineteen ninety nine. Do you know who the amazing Criswell is? <laughs> I do indeed. Yeah, famous noted psychic. Anyway, he predicted that the end of the world uh, would take place on August the eighteenth, nineteen ninety nine. Didn't happen. <laughs> Not a surprise. No. I know Chris Well from uh, his appearance at the beginning of Plan 9 from Outer Space when he says that everything that you see is here is real oh, and him? it's the future where we'll be spending the rest of our lives. Yeah, that's him. That's oh, Chris okay. Well. What a mm-hmm. All right. But the actual day uh, in history is August the 18th, 1937. The first FM radio broadcast takes place. And that is in our close enough to hometown, Boston, Massachusetts. Oh, yeah. Okay. It was the construction permit was issued to, to what would become the station WGTR. Or, as we like to say in our parlance, Bill, W got the rock. Oh, I thought you were going to make fun of the accent. GTR. GTR. No. Got the rock. WGTR. Rock and roll hadn't even been invented yet, but the first song they played, Bill, was Thunderstruck. Did you know that? <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure it was. They did, they did a block of ACDC to open up the station in 1937. They did Thunderstruck, You Shook Me All Night Long, and Back in Black. They should have played When the Heart Rules the Mind. Ah, there's an obscure reference. <laughs> yes. So I, One of the trivia questions I got right, actually. Yes, 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 yes. 
So um, FM radio, uh, which is now just basically country rock and Christian radio stations. Um, and the occasional like, everybody kind of likes what the song that's that'll be on in, the, in this hour, even if you're all different people radio that I listen to. Right, that'll they'll be out of business in the next calendar year, though. Uh, FM radio is seriously going the way of the 50-cent cigar. Yeah. Well, there's only so many car dealerships that can afford to advertise on them, and <laughs> that's kind of the way it is up here. It's like they're all supported by either Don't Put Mercury in the Trash song. I don't know where that's from or how <laughs> they pay PS- for that. It's a PSA. And then the other the one. The government pays yes, for that. there you go. It was brought to you by the Mercury Association. Uh and the other one are, are auto dealerships. That's pretty much it. There's not, not a lot else as far as commercials go on commercial radio. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> like, basically, the only place that radio exists, as far as I know, is in your car. You know, I know you say you listen to it around the house. Mm-hmm. I do. Okay. You're an anomaly. You know, like, literally one of the only people I know. I, I built a Goodwill stereo in my office. So I have like a tuner and I have a, a turntable and speakers and stuff. And I built an FM antenna so that I could just throw it on. And I, and I learned that much like television, uh, if I don't have to think about what I want to listen to, I get more done. Oh, true. The time I spend looking for like a playlist or some other something, a record to put on. If I just put on the tuner to like a local radio station that plays a mix of all kinds of like blah music from like 1980 to 2020... I'm perfectly happy with that on the background. So, well, I'm a slave to my Spotify because I can't pick up radio stations in my shop anyway. The only one that comes in is a local hit music station, and I would rather be drawn and quartered. <laughs> yes, I. That's not my favorite station when I'm down visiting either. So. Yeah, and the problem is with like you know the Spotify algorithms. You end up, or well, I end up, you know, listening to probably the same hundred songs. So it's like, oh, you like that? Well, you'll probably like this. And it's just like another version of the same song. But thankfully, I host a podcast called This Week Was Way Better Last Year. And we have a segment called The Worst Song Ever. And uh, that widens out, for better or for worse, my algorithm. So hopefully after this week, I'll get some interesting music to listen to. Maybe. You know, for those of you like me who hate looking for music to listen to when you're trying to, like, concentrate on a project... It's worse things to do than throw on the old FM tuner. Yeah, you'll have to – if you're ever working on a project in your car, because in the rest of America, that's the only place FM radios exist. Yeah, whenever you're driving around working on those spreadsheets, uh, keep this in mind. Yeah. All right, moving on to the 19th. Uh, August 19th, 1980, uh, 1,400 people – that's 1,400 for those of you who are counting uh, – they riot when Alice Cooper cancels the show in Toronto. That must have been the most polite riot ever. I, I can't even imagine. It must have been like, oh, man. All right, well, I guess we have to leave. And then they don't put their plastic you know, soda cups in the trash as they hey, exit the theater. You, you got to pick that up, eh? Oh, uh, I'm leave it. They canceled, eh? Yeah. All right, uh, you know what? I'm just going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to dump the ice out first. <laughs> he canceled the show because he wasn't feeling well. 1,400 Canadians just weren't having that, I guess. That's not, that's not a lot of people. Was it 1,400 people, like, in a show of 20,000, like, at a, like, a... Yeah, I don't arena? know. Or was it a 1,400-person show? I don't know. This is 1980, so yeah, it could between. really go either way with Alice Cooper. This right. is uh, a 1980, so you're talking about uh, Flush the Flesh album? Yeah. Yep. 
you know, not really his heyday, you know. Uh, so it's hard to say if that was the arena or that. I don't. I'm sure fourteen hundred wasn't everybody there. You know, I'm sure. No, no, no. It's not like yeah. It doesn't say that you know the entire audience decided to just go Canadian ape. Just you know, <laughs> they all yelled once and then they went home. Tim Horton um, donuts everywhere. Tim Horton. Yeah. Right. Uh, four hockey games broke out. And <laughs> I've been to shows where the band didn't show up. I think you and I went to see Guar and the Melvins, right? And the Melvins didn't make it for the opening band. Uh, that was a yeah. Avalon. That's entirely possible because I've never seen the Melvins. I've never seen the Melvins either, but I think they were supposed to be the opening band that day, and they were right. like. The Melvins are stuck in traffic. <laughs> All right. Well, that sucks. Uh, we're not going to see them. Um, we didn't riot, though. No. And then, like, uh, the famous one with, uh, you know, Guns N' Roses, where Axl Rose threw a pissy fit, like, three songs in and just walks off the stage. Yep. And then the, there was a riot over there in St. Louis. But, you yep. know, St. Louis is a, a much rougher town than I uh, expect Toronto to be, you know? Right. I've been to Montreal. Yes. Montreal could be tough. So Toronto being a big city, I imagine that could be, you know, we make a lot of jokes about Canadians being overly polite, but being a major metropolitan area, Toronto could probably be rough in areas too, I imagine. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it is. I mean, and, you know, riots aren't funny, even if it's 14 people that riot. If, you know, they can they could cause all kinds of trouble, and 1,400 is a lot. You know, every now and then there's just, there's just like a, you know, some a sports ball thing that happens and people go bananas and whatever the city is of the teams that win and the teams that lose. And people can get killed. We don't like that. Okay. All right. So moving on to the 20th, we have one of our, uh, our silly holidays here. Uh, August the 20th is World Mosquito Day, Jeff. Oh, oh lovely. It's the itchiest of all holidays. How, how do you celebrate World Mosquito Day, Bill? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Stay indoors. I, I'm one of those people that people invite to like outdoor parties just because I will keep the mosquitoes off of everybody else. Yeah. Like mosquitoes just come right for me. Like come at me, bro. Yeah. I just I you, walk you, out of there just annihilated. You have the flavor. The flavor that the mosquitoes just can't get enough of. Yep. I know how mosquitoes well, celebrate Mosquito Day. Uh it, I, I in 1993, your friend of mine, Mother Teresa, came down with malaria. Uh, that's <laughs> <laughs> on August 20th, huh? So yeah, on August 20th. Yeah, the, the mosquitoes had a party that day. Yeah, the most dedicated follower of uh, National International Mosquito Day. Yep. So that's how you. That's how you celebrate with style. <laughs> All right, and let's wrap up the week. All right, August 21st, 1996. Former singer for the Talking Heads, Mr. David Byrne, sues. His former bandmates to prevent them from touring as the heads. And the suit was settled out of court. And I think Tina Weymouth and. Tina Weymouth, Chris France or Jerry Harrison? Yes. Uh, it's Chris. Okay. Chris, Chris France. France. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, Tina Weymouth and Chris France still toured as Tom Tom Club yeah. and continued so the, to, to, to make music that way. So, I mean, Tom Tom Club. Was before 1996. Yes. I remember Tom Tom Club in the 80s. So they wanted to tour as the Heads? Like change? Yes. Change their name to the Heads? And yeah, and that was after David Byrne, like, you know, split the band and, yeah. and they weren't putting out any more records. I think this is like, they had like one hit, 89 or 92. I think that was the last time they even scraped H, uh, MTV. Was that Nothing But and Flowers? And they did a little bit. 
Yeah, nothing but flowers. And then David Byrne went off and made some movies. And then did his like weird Latino, not Latino, but like salsa type record. And then started to, to do world music and was like, I'm David Byrne. I was from RISD. Bleh. And he went off to become weird. And they're like, we have mortgages to pay. you know. From what I understand, he's kind of an asshole to work with. Yeah. Yes, if you read the, the Tina and Chris... Uh, more recent discussions of like his personality, especially with regard to things like reunion tours, they describe him as very difficult to work with, and that he's like a personality chameleon and stuff. Yeah. Never good things to hear about you from your potential friends and or former bandmates. Yeah, his tour, from what I understand, his solo tour that he just most recently did and wrapped up mm-hmm. was really, really, really cool. I saw like some of the performances like he did on Saturday Night Live. Right. With with like the um, it's almost like a kind of like a marching band almost right. doing uh once in a lifetime. I mean the guy's a gifted performer, but like at the end of the day, if you're just a dick, you know, what are you? You know? Right. Never start believing your own like hype. Right. I think that's the lesson to take away from that. Yeah. Let's put him in a band with, with Bono. <laughs> I, I would be like putting two super strong magnets positive ends together they'll never work together they'll never get them to work together it'd be like a live action battle tops yeah right exactly yes <laughs> all right let's get on to the celebrity birthdays august 15th 1990 i think most people are gonna know her from the hunger games but i've never seen them uh so i <laughs> i know her as the most recent embodiment of mystique in the x-men movies uh jennifer right. lawrence yeah, Jennifer Lawrence. She was in the X-Men movie. She was in the Hunger Games film. She was just in that movie, Don't Look Up, with uh, Meryl Streep. Oh, right, yeah. And I forgot that, that existed. That, yeah, that, that was, premiered on that was, Netflix. Yeah, that was like super hyped for like a week and a half, and then everybody like stopped talking well, about it, it. Well, it got nominated for an Oscar, it, and it was like one of the first ones that was out on streaming that, that got that nomination, so... I've never watched it. Go, fi- go figure. Like, maybe when it comes around in its revival in 40 years, I'll go see it at the same time. Yeah, put it in the movie theaters, then we'll talk, right. yeah. It'll, it'll be in the wrong aspect ratio, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, she, she's a good actress in, in everything that I've seen her in. Uh, she's she's uh, definitely fun to watch. She was in Mother, right? That was her? Oh, yeah. Oh, she was in that f***ed up... Uh, <laughs> that's Darren Aronofsky that did that movie, yeah. Mother, right? Yep, that is, yeah. Yeah. That's a tough watch, dude. That's a that's a weird movie, yeah. That like is a that. tough watch. <laughs> All right. Uh, who do we got for the 16th? August 16th, 1946, character actress Leslie Ann Warren, who you probably know if you're from the Bill and Jeff generation as Miss Scarlet from the film version of Clue. But oh, she has... That's le- not a hard watch. That's a very easy watch. But she's been in... a. Like legit, a hundred thousand million TV and uh, TV shows and films is sometimes bigger characters, sometimes smaller characters. I know she was in a couple of like made for HBO movies when she completed Clue and is still still doing stuff today. She's been doing stuff since the nineteen seventies. As long as she's wearing that blue dress, she's got my attention. Yes, that she was very good in that in that film. Very funny. I, I think she's uh, under she's underrated. I think it's because she doesn't get a lot of like big starring roles. But everything that she's in, yeah. she's good in. Well, I, well, the thing is, like with Clue, is she had fantastic comedic timing with femme fatale right. looks. Yes. All right. Uh, moving on to the 17th. 1969, the toughest of all the hanging tough new kids on the block, Donnie Wahlberg. I remember him from Donnie Don and the Donkey Bunch, right? 
<laughs> close, but no uh, oh, Cupid doll on that one. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah, Donnie Wahlberg was in the New Kids on the Block, and then his little brother, Marky Mark, decided he was going to have a rap career, and that, you know, went about as far as you would think it would go. And then Mark started doing acting, yeah. and then Donnie was like, hey, I could do acting too, and oddly enough, um, I mean, they've both been in a bunch of movies, but uh, I think Mark is probably the arguably the more I, famous I, I, one. I, I, uh, I'm going to say Walt- this, and it's going to sound okay. terrible, but I don't know. I, I've seen both of them in films, and I don't know which one is which. Which one's which one was in yeah. Saw Two? That is Donnie. Donnie. Okay. I, I, which one wait, was in the other? I, 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 I might be wrong. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> they they are not identical, but they might as well be. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is Donnie. I just looked it up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Donnie Wahlberg was in Saw Two, and he was also in. Uh, it was either four or five, or no, or five or six. I don't know. He's, he's in another one. Yeah. He's in a couple of Saw movies. Marky Mark is in... Uh, Marky. Mark. Mark Wahlberg is like in the Ted movies. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he was in The Other Guys with, with Will Ferrell. That was the Mark The first Wahlberg. time I saw Donnie Wahlberg in a movie, you've seen The Sixth Sense, right? I have. You know the skinny guy that commits suicide at the very beginning of the movie? He looks like he weighs like 80 pounds. The one that, spoiler alert, drives the whole plot, drives to the film. Yes, yes, that's him. That's Donnie Wahlberg, yeah. Yeah, I, I knew that, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I can't remember which one is which. I knew it was a Wahlberg. Yeah. It could have Donnie. also been Joey Fatone. No, wait, he's in, in sync. <laughs> <laughs> All right, who do we got on the 18th? August 18th, 1943, Martin Mull also... Uh, in the film Clue as Colonel Mustard. He was born in Chicago. Played Colonel Mustard, the guy, the war profiteer, who's a customer of Miss Scarlet's brothel. Uh, right. Yes. Uh, uh, Martin Moe also, he, I, I remember him doing, like, stand-up comedy, and he was very, very, very funny. And he used to sing songs, too. He's done, like, a bunch of stuff. He he was just never a superstar. No. He's a character actor. Uh, yeah. Usually usually in comedies, like he was the villain character in Mr. Mom, the one that hit on Terry Garr at the advertising agency. He usually plays that kind of a, like skeezy type character, yeah. uh, irrespective of what film he's in. And it makes for a lot of fun. And he was on a, a bunch of like cutting edge TV shows in the early 80s too, back when HBO was just starting to experiment around with programming. They yeah. did a series called The History of White People in America that he was on, which was really, yes. really funny. Yep, I remember that. Uh, he was in Arrested Development. Yes. So he was Gene Parmesan. Gene Parmesan. Ah! I have to scream when you say that. Yes. Gene Parmesan, the, the detective. Yeah. He's a super funny guy, and he's in all kinds of stuff. Yeah. his. I'm looking at his IMDb now, and it just goes on and on and on and on and on. Like, it's amazing, like, how much stuff he's done, and yet you have to explain to people who he is. Well, you got to show him a picture. Like, it's this yeah. guy. And then they go, oh, that guy. But if you try to describe that guy, they're like, I don't know who he is. He has a mustache. A lot of guys have mustaches. Yeah, but this guy's got a like a blonde mustache. Yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> All right. Moving on to the 19th, 1948. Oh, uh, the scourge of Generation X. Tipper Gore, the wife of Vice President Al Gore. Uh, Tipper Gore led a group called the Washington Wives who then put together another group called the PMRC, the Parents Music Resource Center. Yes. Because... She hated I'm not sure Prince. If, yeah. <laughs> because she had bought an album 
uh, a Prince album for her daughter, and there was some. And Prince isn't exactly uh, known for his wholesome, family-friendly music. That caused such an uproar that they had uh, hearings in Congress on yeah. whether music should be censored, and that was very, very interesting to watch. Yeah, it's the only time in my life I chose not to vote for her husband. Yeah, uh, when he ran, at least in the primary. For that, yeah. for the year, for 2000 election, and it was not because of anything her husband had said, but it was because of, of who, her, yeah, of who he was I, married to, yeah. Yeah, I literally sat out that election as well because it was George W. Bush, and I remembered who his father was right. versus Al Gore, and I remembered who his wife was, and I was like, yeah, I'm just, I'm gonna sit this one out. You yep, that's my political statement. Ha. Huh. <laughs> that was my that's, that's the end of my political statement right there. But yeah, she's she's sort of the face became the like the, the Washington face of the Satanic Panic and uh, caused no end of agony for people like uh, of our generation who like heavy metal and and Prince and apparently John Denver and uh, and Frank Zappa. It was because of her that Frank Zappa's instrumental album Jazz from Hell got a warning sticker. Ah. <laughs> That's, it got yeah. an explicit lyric sticker on it. Yeah, and, and and the reason why the Dead Kennedys broke up, right? The the Dead Kennedys and Jell Biafra specifically got in so much trouble because of the dominoes that Tip Gore tipped over. The rest of the band were like, "Dude, you're like a freaking magnet for trouble. We're out of here." And so, uh, yeah, they start thinking that you had something to do with the missing milk carton kids. Like it's time for us to cut you loose. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's get on. Oh, speaking of missing milk carton kids, somebody who may be responsible, who do we go for the 20th? Panics. Uh, August 20th, 1890, H.P. Lovecraft, writer from Providence, Rhode Island, is born. He's actually born in Providence and later dies in Providence. He's probably best known now for the overall idea of the Cthulhu mythos, which has been captured in a couple of films based on his actual writings like Reanimator and The Unnameable. There's also Dagon, but that's a different story that they call Dagon. I just recently and, watched In the Mouth of Madness, which is based on a, a number of H.P. Lovecraft stories. It definitely borrows some of his ideas to make that. And that was Carpenter's aim when he made that, right. was to make the unwritten H.P. Lovecraft story. Right. So I just went to see The Thing, which if you really want to argue, that's effectively the equivalent of an H.P. Lovecraft story as well. You've got an unknowable, ancient, extraterrestrial something that doesn't care about the people that live on Earth. And we are meaningless in the universe. And that's sort of the gist of a lot of his writings. I've read almost everything he's written, I think, by now. There may be a couple of, like, essays and stuff that he wrote that I haven't read all the way through, but I've read just about all of his fiction writing and uh, short stories. They do in Providence, they do a H.P. Uh, Lovecraft kind of, like, festival. Mm-hmm. I guess you could say. I forget what it's called. It's clever, whatever it's called. And wrapping up the birthdays, August the 21st of 1952, guitar player for The Clash, Joe Strummer. Yeah, oh, yeah. He's also the one of the two lead singers, he and Mick Jones, and uh, are probably best known, as sad as it is, by the masses for their first of two singles off Combat Rock, their last kind of okay record, Rock the Casbah. Right. But their previous records, like London Calling and Sandinista, are way better. Yeah, The Clash is a punk rock standard band. You know, if you're going to call yourself punk in the late 80s and early 90s, you know, you had to own London Calling. If you didn't own London Calling, sorry, your punk card is revoked. Yes. They definitely had a sound 
that was more worldly, I think, than some of their predecessors, at least in the London scene. Right. They took influences from ska and some sort of West Indian stuff that was infused into their into their material that made it more interesting. Right. They were also super political where other bands like think about like so there's the Sex Pistols who are whatever the hell they are, right? Then there's <laughs> the monkeys of punk right? rock, yeah. The monkeys of the the punkies. <laughs> the <laughs> and then you've got like the Clash who are really political. You've got Generation X who are complete pop musicians, but they look like and sound like punk rock. Mm-hmm. The ones that really sort of pushed into the the political side were the Clash. And they did that on San Anista with songs like Guns of Brixton and and some of the others. So like the Beatles, they have a live at Shea Stadium album. The clash oh really yeah. i didn't know that oh no it was released probably about uh, maybe 14 years ago uh but it, it comes up on my spotify from time to time yeah it's gonna be from the combat rock tour you know that's when they were you know at their biggest right and by then like mick jones was already trying to gnaw one of his own arms off to get out of the band and go do something else yeah who went on to do big audio dynamite mm-hmm, which i absolutely love and then joe strummer got a bunch of studio musicians together uh, to put out one last Clash out, the aptly named album Cut the Crap, uh, which track for track is just... The worst song ever. Oh, Jeff, I talked earlier about how my Spotify algorithms get jammed up, or unjammed up, the, the, the log jam gets cut loose once a week because I put in bands that I would never listen to on any normal circumstances. And uh, so this week's band uh, and Worst Song Ever nominee comes from a duo, uh, which later became a full band, called Tim Buck Three. And oh, I remember them. Yeah, and their uh, their hit single, The Future's So Bright, I Gotta Wear Shades. Let's play the clip, and then we'll do our dive. I got a job waiting for my graduation. 50000 a year will buy a lot of beer. So this band, it's a it's a husband and wife. I listened to the whole album. I, well, I, they have six albums, but I listened to the whole album uh, called "Greetings from Timbuk 3, which this uh, this song is from. It's their debut record, right? Yeah, and they sound like you ever go to like a restaurant, like a like family dining, like the, or a local Ponderosa kind of a restaurant. And then there's like a guy in a guitar and a, a woman with a tambourine or whatever, and they're playing. And you're like, "Why are you here? You're not dragging in three hundred extra dollars worth of business. Why do they have a live performance <laughs> of music?" That's what Timbuk right. Three sounds like. Like uh, most of their songs sound like that. Yeah, going back and listening to them today mm-hmm. for the hour or so that I that I spent w- with a couple of their tracks and reading up on them, is that they reminded me of like that whole like weird subgenre of. Like Black Crows and... On what um, freaking reality plane does Timbuk3 and the Black Crows coincide? It, it's like that weird... It's like that Southwestern Americana rock almost. Okay. Almost. Yeah, they are very American. You know I mean? All right, I'll give you that. They're very American sounding. Yes, okay. 
Well, Amer- like Americana, which yes. is almost country rock, but not quite. It's got like one foot in regular pop rock and one foot that's not. And Yeah, I'll make the argument that the Black Crows have a lot more blues infused into them. Yeah, yeah, there's there's a lot less blues infusion in this, but it's still there in this song even. Um, I don't know. I, I'd, say, I'd say this song is like bright orange, the complete opposite of blue. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just talking like tonally okay. more so than than lyrically. But yeah, you, you know what I mean? But it sort of falls into that like, uh, again, I think of like Black Crows and a Cheryl Crow. There's a lot of crows in this. Mm-hmm. The name should have been Tumbuk Crow and then I would have a triple bit there. But that sort of style of what I think of as like a desert sort of Southern California, Western Texas style sort of music scene where there's a lot of country influence, but it's not like the twang, 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 twang type country. I think you know? it, it might have something to do with the video where I just kind of picture these guys living in like a an airsoft in the middle of New Mexico someplace, but they're actually... <laughs> they do look like residents of Slab City. Yeah, 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 yeah but they're actually from Madison, Wisconsin. Right. And Which is very, very much not southwestern no not even Texas. a little bit right <laughs> that's a, i mean that's the capital city if, if nothing else right so i listened to the rest of the album and most of the songs sound like remember at the end of bill nye the science guy there would always be like a song that kind of like summed up like what the, that episode was about or any other kind of like children's educational program. And then there would be a song there, right? But these songs aren't about the stuff you would learn on a children's education program. These would be from those like crazy one night adult learning classes that you would take at the local community college. They ha- right. Yeah. They have a song on here called Hairstyles and Attitudes. They have another one called Facts About Cats. Facts about cats. Facts about cats. Yeah, and uh, what's the what's the one with the Cadillac Church, like Reverend Dan and his ca- traveling Cadillac Church or something? That's not the one that I listened to. Oh, maybe maybe that's on the subsequent record. There, there was a, they only had well they had they had four four singles that charted right. It's uh it's uh, it was the best of album. Yeah, uh, Reverend uh, Jack and his Roman Cadillac Church. Yeah, yeah that that song's you know what it sounds like it sounds like the future's so bright we gotta wish we gotta wish. Well, nothing on that first album sounded like the future so bright. I gotta wear shades. That I think there's probably a reason. Yeah, that song was very well produced, and the rest of it just sounded like you know shoebox music. I guess you could call it. Yeah, it's they definitely there's a DIY component to this. They they had like I think four records before they doing the greatest hits route, and I I can't imagine how many singles, one single. Well, you can't really call it greatest hits. It's the best of. You got to choose your words carefully. <laughs> so, yes, technically. Well, I was going to say, because the closest they got to top 10 after this song was that Reverend Dan and his traveling Cadillac Church song, which like scraped at like number 39 and then just plummeted into oblivion. All right. So the song itself, uh, the feature so bright, I got to wear shades, that kind of like became a meme. And they would play it at like graduations and stuff like that, because it has this seemingly has this like go get them tiger kind of like. Uh, yeah. Yep. You know, the kind of attitude you should have at graduation. You know, it's your, how do they used to say it? Your attitude, not your aptitude that determines your altitude. That, right. That's what they used to say at our, at our school all the time. You know, you know what they said? At the, remember what they said at our graduation, Bill? When Mr. Cummer came out and he said, I'd like to say that the, the, this class of vocational students has really truly taught me the meaning of the word abundance. And everybody clapped and he said it means a lot. Yeah. I just remember Mr. Cummer coming out and saying, I finally figured out what all you are laughing at. 
And that was his name, ladies and gentlemen. But anyway, turns out that this song, The Future's So Bright, I Gotta Wear Shades, if you read a little more into it, it's not a, a, a optimistic sounding, uh, a very optimistic song. It came out in the 80s, you know, during the Cold War, where you think scary now, kids? Oh, my God, you should have been back there in the 80s. Every day, it was just like, well, this is it. They're going to push a big red button. Yep. Well, it's funny, like, this song, right, this song's got a nuclear war subcomponent to it now that yeah. we re- that we recognize now but didn't recognize then. Right. It's like all those birthday parties I went to as a kid where it was 99 Red Balloons themed. Right, right, right. I had no idea. Oh, yeah, that's another nuclear freaking disaster song. Right. But, yeah, uh, in, in the context of the song, the future's so bright, I gotta wear shades, he's talking about the flash of an explosion. Yeah. Great, great toe-tapping music there, guys. Yeah. <laughs> All right, but before we wrap up the show, I do have uh, the answer to my very popular, to our, let's share, to our very popular and always well-received trivia question. Uh, My question to you at the beginning of the show, young Jeff, was, I'm going shopping, and I have to pick up Chilean nylons and Australian bananas. Where am I going to pick up such commodities? Where are you going to pick up such commodities? Australian bananas and Chilean nylons. Mm-hmm. One stop shopping. One stop shopping. Want to say that the store that you're going to is Trader Joe's? All right, that's a pretty wide brush to paint with here. No, I'm going to go to a, a fish store or a seafood marketplace because both Chilean nylons and Australian bananas are species of shrimp. Oh, okay. Uh, well, oh, all right. A, well, I guess you got me on that there's, one, Bill. There's that curveball. Yeah, I can't have you doing any more streaks. We're, we're not going to have that. Yeah. Absolutely not. No way. No. I feel like I'd like to, I'd like to protest the structure of that question, oh, but oh, I will not. No way, Jose. <laughs> All right, but that's going to wrap up the show for this week. We'll see you back here in seven days. Say goodnight, Jeff. Goodnight, Jeff. Bye, guys. Bye, everybody. A special shout-out to James Costa for our theme music. Thank you for listening to Twibbly, but this week was way better last year. You know, you can find us or message us over at Facebook or Instagram. Just look for Twibbly. That's T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. What's that, girl? You should subscribe to Twibbly and tell your friends. Oh, wait. Never mind. It's just that Timmy kid stuck in the old mineshaft again. Don't be like Timmy. Subscribe to Twibbly and your dog can listen, too.